1: Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
2: Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. New customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z-ZIBBY20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white open long cashmere sweater that i've been wearing on every flight that i've taken on this tour i have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater several dresses i even wore on corny america check it out jay mclaughlin thanks so much Get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com, and definitely check out those shows as well. I hope you'll all check out the all new Zibby Mag, Z-I-B-B-Y-M-A-G, the literary lifestyle destination with essays, book news, a lit lifestyle feature, and even some classes. Check it out, zibbymag.com. Kylie Letty is the author of The Perfect Other, A Memoir of My Sister. Kylie received her bachelor's degree from Boston College and her MSW from Columbia University in advanced clinical practice and public policy. In 2019, she won the New York Times Modern Love College Essay Contest for a piece she wrote about grieving her sister, Kate. Her work has appeared in various publications, including the New York Times, Parents and the Cut. She is based in New York City, and The Perfect Other is her first book. Welcome, Kylie. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss The Perfect Other, a memoir of my sister.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm a big fan of the podcast.
2: Oh, Kylie, I really loved this book. You're a beautiful writer. I can't believe you wrote it when you were 23, right? Is that, that's. Yeah. Yeah, I started
3: writing it when I was
2: twenty-two. When I finished it, at twenty-three. Oh my gosh, a heart, <laughs> a heartbreaking yet inspiring story. Why don't you tell listeners a little bit about why you decided to make your personal story with your sister Kate and your family? And oh my gosh, I want to meet your mom after all this. Like I feel so attached. Uh, talk a little about you know why why you decided to make it into a book and what the the crux of the story really is. Yeah, definitely everyone
3: always says that my mom, I think it's so cute.
2: <laughs> she is the best, She's
3: my best friend. So yeah, but yeah, no. So how this came about basically was that in 2019, I was a senior at Boston college and I submitted to the modern love New York times essay contest, just kind of on a whim, not thinking much of it. And I ended up winning the contest when it was actually my senior week. So <laughs> of college yeah. I was graduating and it just launched me into this path where I had this opportunity to start drafting this book, you know, agents reaching out to me. And I realized I had some of it already written, honestly, over the course of my own personal writing. And it came together pretty organically. Got the book deal that fall with Hachette um, originally. And then we, you know, mergers, acquisitions, a <laughs> whole lot. And ended up at HarperCollins. And yeah, it's been a journey. But the book itself is about my sister, who was six years older than me, kind of our relationship. It's about sisterhood. It's about grief, about mental illness, about love. And it's really about her struggle with her mental health and how to escalate over the years into head traumas and eventually schizophrenia. So it's really kind of looking back and trying to take this this, you know, perspective in the past and see all the signs we didn't see the time and and how these behavioral issues start and they can spiral into something like this. And it's about her, eventually she committed suicide. So it's also about grief. And the um, second half
2: is really about kind of coming out of that experience. Well, I'm, I'm so sorry for everything that you went through. And she did sound like such an amazing older sister and your relationship was so special. I was really interested in the head traumas that she went through and you described them in the book in detail and how once she was sticking out of your, of her bedroom and fell from the second floor and kind of brushed it off and went off to the party. Another time she fell from uh, a couple steps when maybe somebody was hugging her. You're not sure what happened, but that required literally like opening up her scalp and the sub hematoma, whatever, I don't have the right language, bleeding inside the brain. And your hypothesis, I've, you know, in the book, you're clearly grappling with what is it? Was it, was the schizophrenia, should we have seen it coming all along? Like, were these signs this? Were they something else? Were the head traumas, what caused it? Can head traumas cause it? Even the PCOS that you mentioned, was that a contributor? You know, I I feel like you're trying so hard to untangle how it could have happened and did you miss something and what what were the contributing forces? And there obviously is no clear answer, right? But where do you land on all of that? Yeah, exactly. I think
3: honestly, looking back and once I've tried to put it all together and you know, originally when I was drafting it, I had a working title as Signs We See, because I was thinking of it as like the signs of mental health, but also in the grief section is kind of signs that someone is still with you and covering that sentence as well. But I think, honestly, we unfortunately had a perfect storm. I think there are probably a lot of factors contributing to it. You mentioned PCOS, which is a hormonal disorder. That was definitely probably something that couldn't have helped anything. And then we had the head traumas. I think that my mom and I, our theory basically is that if it weren't for the head traumas, you probably could have managed it better. And uh-huh. Maybe they just kind of center over the edge. Like it could have been something that we kind of had you know, medication for, we had therapy for, but instead it was just, this, I don't know, this kind of last straw. And I, I do think like, especially on this podcast, when you know you have, you're talking to moms and, and it just, you're looking at, everyone wants their kid to be, happy and healthy. And no one wants something like this to happen. So I think for me in writing the book was trying to piece together these facts and look at how can something like this be avoided in the future, whether that's prevention or just better treatments or more empathy, less stigma. And I have had a lot of people reach out to me in the process, just telling me their own stories and seeing how prevalent it still is
2: the aftermath when you had to deal with i mean you were still young when this all happened and had to deal with the you know the regular school of canceling a birthday party with your friends and having them be annoyed about it or being upset with your moodiness or just typical teenage hijinks which you were carrying so much more and then immediately like having to write about a sibling at school and having to answer those questions and the guy at college who put you on the spot, who was like, well, do you know, you told some people you had a sister and you told other people that you didn't like, what's up, you know? And it's so, I just, my heart kind of broke for you in all of these moments. And also just there was, you know, some anger too, right? How are people so insensitive and how, like, I wish there had been more protection around you. I feel like you were so just out there and exposed. And I guess that is the way it is all the time with grief, but even more so with you being young that you had to go through all of this with this complete lack of sensitivity, particularly from your school. And I don't know how you feel about it now looking back, but I don't know, reading it as a, you know, as a neutral third party, it just uh, was sort of horrifying to me. Yeah. You know, I think
3: honestly, like we just don't know how to handle grief as a society still. I don't know if we have like the language around it, and for suicide, especially, I mean, it has so much stigma around it. People just they hear that word and they just back away. It's yeah. <laughs> not like a, a good opener. So I think I understand. I don't think it's like necessarily like malicious intentions behind it. Usually, I think it's really just this lack of being able to help. Like it's it's like helplessness. Like how do I help my friend who's going through this? How do I you know how do I help a student going through this? Like there's not a lot of answers there. So yeah, it definitely was hard. And then. You know, you write a memoir at 22 about it. So yeah, make it, make it weirder.
2: (laughs) Uh, You kept coming back to the fact that Kate disappeared, right? This is in the opening, so I'm not giving anything away, but that there had been visions of her on the Benjamin Franklin bridge wearing the red coat. And then suddenly in the next room, she was not there. And by the way, the the Reddit part, I just like could not believe that scene. I don't, anyway, I'll leave that for readers, but you come back to there not being an answer, right? She, her body was not found and there is no final resolution. And you you kind of hinted at a few times, hoping that what if she were to just show up, you know, what if that was her, what was that random neighbor? Could it be her? And, I know you said I had just sent you bookends, but my friend, my best friend, Stacy, was died in the nine eleven attacks. And not to compare at all, but just that there's no body to bury. Like you, the rituals of grief, at least not at least, but when you go through that and you lay the body to rest and you have the funeral and you say goodbye, and there's some finality and closure to that. When you have a loss with someone just literally like disappearing into thin air. It's much harder, or I mean, it's all hard and terrible. There's not harder, but there is a particular w- way of trying to wrap your mind around how that could possibly be, and then how you just move forward from that. Yeah, exactly.
3: You know, it's it's interesting too. Like, even when I was writing the book, I'd have like these nightmares, not nightmares, and just dreams. My sister would be like, alive, and she'd come and she'd be like, why'd you write this book saying I was dead? Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm here. Like, I, you know, it's still like, even when you know something, and even though you have that, intellectual proof you don't have the physical proof like you said and it just I think it just delays the healing process so much and and I also think I I told my mom about this recently actually it's just like I think that our society used to experience a lot of death unfortunately not a lot of natural causes a lot more illnesses a lot more tragedies and we had better coping mechanisms around it you know, more language around it I mean we had like widow's walks and stuff I mean people, people like It was so common nowadays, which is really good. It's so much less common that people just don't know how to handle it, especially young people. So, you know, I think like just trying to normalize it and being like, this is a tragedy and it happened, but it doesn't make you different or, you know, any more damaged. It's just part of life, unfortunately. I
2: mean, the scene when you were graduating, I guess, and then somebody was like, oh, how's your sister? What's she up to? And in the moment you just made something up because like, how do you handle a moment like that? And then you felt so guilty about it. And then you, you know, kept digging, you know, you just kept getting into a deeper and deeper hole with the the lie, essentially not a lie, but you know, how do you go into all that? How, like, why are you required to dredge all that up at every interaction? I don't know. It's uh it's hard. And you wrote about it so beautifully. Like that's really like your story is compelling and so sad, but also so hopeful. And there's so much love in this book. There's so much love from you. There's so much love from your mom. I mean, when she was, you know, getting beaten up and would just like hope for those moments of clarity when like the real Kate would sort of show up and just like all that she was willing to withstand in that. I mean, there's just so much... There's just so much love amid the the pain. And even your, I'm sorry, I just keep like talking about all these different, but like even, even just your fear and the way you describe that in the book, I hope I dug you on that page, but what it feels like to not have a secure environment for yourself, like in your own home. I mean, that's also a unique thing that many like sort of victims of violence and trauma have gone through. Like, how do you repair from that? Like, do you feel like you are repairing from that?
3: I do. I had a lot of people. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if you're in this stage yet since your just came out, but if you're on Goodreads, get off it. <laughs> I'm telling you that, but I'm on it. Like I read reviews a lot, which is like my worst habit. I check it all the time. My agent was like, you have to stop reading this. But I did. I had like one prickly review that said like, you know, this I you know, this book didn't do it for me, but it must have been like so therapeutic for her. <laughs> and I was like, it's so interesting because I got that comment a lot about how this was like, you know, hopefully a therapeutic experience. And it was so hard to write the book, like going back to that headspace. And, you know, I had kind of recovered from a lot of it. And then I had to go right back and kind yeah. of like really dig things up. And I say in the acknowledgement section, like there's a difference between Living something and then trying to make meaning from it. Yes. So trying to look back and say like, why did this happen? what did I feel like? Now that logic and all thinking, like it was just so awful, <laughs> so hard. And then now, that's out in the world and it's kind, of, kind of a closed book in that sense. It does feel kind of therapeutic. Like I do feel like a lot of it has been resolved for me. Like I feel like I'm at peace with a lot of stuff and. I feel like my sister and I are on good terms. <laughs> I feel like I did feel like she was helping me along this process. You know, I'm very spiritual. So I, I felt her presence a lot. And I think that even that was in the end kind of a healing experience. But it was one of those healing experiences that really sucks in the in between.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, process is not pretty. <laughs> yeah. Ready to pop the question. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
2: I had another friend who I lost named Paige who I wrote about in my book. And 11 was so her thing that she actually, we had her memorial service at eleven eleven. Like that's the time people were called to the service. Anyway, so I related to that as well. Not the book, just my life. <laughs> Wait, I wanted to see if I found, if I could find quickly, I loved this section. Oh, I, I dogeared this because I wanted to watch the movie Uptown Girls, which I've never seen with Brittany Murphy. I was like, oh, that sounds good. Okay.
3: Yeah, I was comparing my sister and I to the characters in that since I was like younger, but more serious. And she was more the fun, free-spirited older sister.
2: (laughs) Yeah, all of her injuries. Oh my gosh. Oh, I love this thing about how you find tickling odd because I also... Th- I thought that, I think that myself. This is not particularly relevant to the story, but you're like I've always found tickling. I've always found tickling kind of odd. How it's both painful and pleasant at once. You're laughing, and at first the burn feels good. It aches like your limbs after a long day at the beach, jumping over waves, an exhausted high. But then your muscles contract. You have the distinct feeling of being out of control. A carnival ride that was supposed to be fun, but on a dime, has grown terrifying. Some theories claim that tickling may have evolved as an evolutionary defense mechanism. The most vulnerable parts of our bodies are ticklish. Our feet, our armpits, our stomach, sides, and neck. Sorry, my allergies are terrible today. Because we are most sensitive in these spots. If true, this idea purports an innate sense of faith in the person tickling you. Like how a dog will roll over and expose his belly if he trusts his owner. We only reveal our most unguarded selves when we believe them safe. For years, Kate's aggressive behavior still felt like this to me, a game of pretend. Beautiful and also interesting for anybody else who's struggled (laughs) with, with tickling. But then I wanted to read this passage, which was absolutely beautiful. My sister's sanity slipped slowly and quietly, the way you lose a train of thought or slide into a dream at night, there and then not. She lost her edge little by little, an avalanche that picks up one rock and then another, a steady progression, and then in a flash, a tragedy uncontrollable, too late. That's really beautiful.
3: Oh, thank you. I do think that's also just very true of the experience. Like it's when you're looking for answers, it is so hard to try to find one answer for these things because there were so many factors and it's impossible to see the full picture when you're in it and you're experiencing it. And I know that unfortunately in our society too, the moms get blamed for everything. (laughs) So that's one thing I was looking at too is like for parents who are going through right now, like it's 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 so it's so hard, it's so impossible to see what's going on, and there are so
2: few easy answers in this. And there's be- a lot of hope, but yeah, not to mention that your mom is working so hard. I mean, it's not just you can't just look at it in a vacuum. Like everybody is trying to like keep the whole boat afloat, and in, in addition to this, right? You can't just it's not just navel gazing and like sitting there and being able to watch and analyze like life goes on and you have to like provide for the family and do all these other things at the same time. So oh, this was also beautiful. There's something about our body's reaction to grief. That's almost too dramatic to be genuine. We slide down walls crumpling on hardwood floors. The gravity of loss invents its own rule of physics. We collapse into ourselves, our chest meeting our knees, bringing our heads closer to the ground like that'll somehow make us feel more solid, more safe, to lie on the warm pavement and press our bodies into the hard earth. Dread encircles your brain, draining the blood from your temples and leaving a fuzziness in its wake like the static of a lost television signal. You want to cover your ears like you used to when your sister teased you as a child because the truth can't touch you if you don't allow yourself to hear it. It's as if you're a character in a movie watching the action unfold around you. Is my hand really covering my mouth? Why am I pressing my palms against my temple? Do people do that in real life? And if you're anything like me, the nausea comes first. The waiting in the depths of your stomach and the bile that almost rises, but decides to fall instead. It's the nausea that never truly fades. It returns now and again. When you drive past a bridge or look at an old photo, you think, if only I could puke, if only I could get it out once and for all, maybe I could dispose of the bad, this feeling, this new reality. It would be cathartic, a release, an escape. Oh. That's one of the best descriptions of grief that I've like ever heard. Oh, Absolutely beautiful. I'm so sorry you've gone through this, but absolutely beautiful. (laughs) And by the way, I have also played the game that you played with your friends, the game you called Who Would Cry at My Funeral. I play (laughs) that in my head all the time. I cannot explain how many times I have played my funeral in my head so much so that I'm like, maybe I should just have it early. You know, maybe I should just, I'll just get this over with and uh, I'll plan the whole thing and I'll just like, you know, everybody can do their speeches and be sad. And then I'll be like, surprise, you know, all good. Let's like, keep, keep going. But now you don't have to have one
3: later. No, definitely. You know, it is interesting. It's like, I do think grief is so universal, but it's one of those unfortunate clubs where you don't get it until you experience it. And then once you experience it, everyone's kind of on the same page. (laughs) of how awful it is and what it's really like. And it is a very physical experience. And that's something that I didn't expect personally. It was just how like physically I would feel that heartbreak. I deduct the nausea. I mean, all those things are, it, it's, it, again, like, yeah, it just, it, it affects you so much. And for me, when I was writing the book it was just like, I know how do I communicate this in a way that makes people feel not alone, that they can see themselves in it
2: and it registers for them. I have a friend who's sick right now. And when we heard about it, I literally told my husband, I was like, I feel like I just like swallowed some sort of toxic chemical as you said, like it like goes all the way through your body and you just like feel it. And then every time we talk about it, I feel that same kind of, you know, scooping out inside or something with like needles. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Scooping
3: out is is a good word for it. It's very, it's, you feel very hollow sometimes. I feel like with that.
2: Well, this is yeah. uplifting, you know, I'm sure like this is really what you want to talk about on an early, early morning. Um, <laughs> wait, so this book and this you know, this piece of your life aside, tell me about your life these days. Like, what are you doing? Where are you living? What's your life like? You're marketing a book, but like what else? And like, where do you want to go from here? And like, what's the happy stuff in your life?
3: <laughs> there you go. It's a good segue. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm in New York City right now. I'm not sure you can hear all the sirens outside my window. I <laughs> <laughs> I'm in New York. I live with a bunch of my friends in college. And I just graduated from Columbia, my MSW, in May. So I'm done grad school. And yeah, it's in mental health care and public policy. So I'm hoping that I can use the book as a launching off point for that and try to do more policy work and do you know more of the public service in that sense. But I'm also writing my second book right now, which has been really fun. It's fiction. It's totally different. And it's just, it's all the best parts of writing without, you know, the horrible personal (laughs) tragedy element of it. So it's been really great to, you know, kind of pivot that direction. I'm hoping that I can just keep writing books. It's the dream. So fingers crossed that works out. (laughs) That's amazing.
2: I don't know if you have any interest. I'm on the board of an organization called the Child Mind Institute. It's about children's mental health and everything. And they do a lot with destigmatization and prevention, and they're trying to find like a biomarker for mental illness early. So Mm -hmm. you can know what's coming. Anyway, if you're interested in getting involved, even on the policy I love them. They they do such good research. They're so, I feel like on top of
3: it. And they're one of the best, I think, organizations that are trying to address this right now, especially in
2: kids. Well, I'm happy to put you in touch with the founder if you want to get involved or help. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. No problem. Do you play any sports? Like, what do you do when you're not cerebral? <laughs> I actually love pickleball. Okay.
3: <laughs> My mom and I got super into it during the pandemic. We were tennis players growing up and we play a lot of pickle. And that's really fun. I'm big on soul cycle these days. Nice. It's something I did not do before. And then um, when the book was coming out, I think I was just like so stressed out and you know, anxious about it that I just started going all the time and now I love it. It's such a good release. And yeah, you know, I'm I'm excited in the city and things are getting better. And I live with a bunch of my good friends. So yeah, lots of positive things
2: going on. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. I needed to feel better knowing that you were having a nice life. So thank you for doing that for me. (laughs) What's your new book called? Can you, can you say? I don't have a title yet. Um, It's still
3: very early on, but yeah, it's, it's really it's honest, I'm thinking about trying to maybe transition it even towards the YA space. Oh, yes. Get more young adult because, you know, I'm, I am <laughs> kind of closer to that age than I'd like to be. And I relate to a lot of things still. And I grew up reading, you know, like John Green and all these big young adult fiction writers. And they kind of shaped me and how I approach writing and reading. And I that's so exciting. So that's something that I'm exploring right now. That's awesome.
2: I love it. Well, maybe one of these days I'll see you in New York. I'm not there now, but I will be in the fall. So uh be nice to cross, cross paths and everything. And yeah, I have so much respect for you. You're a really, really great writer. And I'm, you know, I'm taking, I don't I'm hitching my wagon. I don't even know what the right expression is. I can't wait to watch <laughs> your progress because um, I will read everything you write. I think you're great. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm so excited for you.
3: Oh, thanks. Yeah, thank I'm to... <laughs> We have a separate talk about the publication process. Yes, just, please. Yeah, it's like put it out there because it's a strange experience, but yeah. it's, it's really
2: exciting. Not to mention having to have people judge up your most painful memories every time you talk about your book. Yeah, which is also interesting. <laughs> I'm like, okay, here we go. I'm going here again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you have and, to just steal yourself for a little bit. It's yeah, a- and I'm I'm the perpetrator in this case, but you know, not always. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, congratulations and stay in touch. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.